Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Well, we're turning to Revelation chapter 4 for our Bible reading today. We're continuing to look at this wonderful book, strange book in many ways, uh, but I hope becoming uh, precious to us and familiar to us as we look at it. Revelation chapter 4 and verses 1 to 11. After this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Amen. Revelation chapters 4 and 5 go together. 4 and 5 go together. They are two parts of one picture. And chapter 4 that we're looking at together this morning is setting the stage And chapter 5 is the incredible drama. Setting the stage and the incredible drama. Just like you go to the theater to see a play, all the action happens, doesn't it, up on the stage in front of you with the characters. But what that stage looks like is everything. It matters hugely. Today, chapter 4, a beautiful setting, a stunning stage. So incredible that we're going to look just at the stage today in chapter 4. Next week, Easter Sunday, gloriously, the incredible drama. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. 
And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Ah, there's the drama. God on the throne is holding in his hand a scroll. The scroll is his plan for the universe. It's the architect's grand design for everything in the world, making everything right again. Who is worthy to take that scroll and lay it open and fulfill all that it contains? Who is good enough, strong enough, wise enough, holy in their person and in their character through and through? Who can do that? Who can approach God's throne and carry out his plan for the world? Oh, it is an incredible question, an incredible drama. And Will has the privilege of looking at the drama next week, chapter 5. But today, the setting, the stage, the, the theater in which all of this happens, we're going to study the stage together because this chapter, chapter 4, is designed to draw the eye to the center of the stage. There is something there in the middle and All eyes are fixed on it. Everything else revolves around it. It is the magnet at the center. And if we don't see what is at the center clearly, and if we don't take in the majestic setting of chapter 5, we will misunderstand the drama that is unfolding. So I want to encourage you as we keep going with the book of Revelation. It's not too difficult for us, is it? We're finding finding this as we go through it. Somebody has said, the faithful can't ever seem to get into Revelation and the fanatical can't ever seem to get out of it. Well, I don't know. I don't know what that makes us. We've started looking at it and we're going to keep going until we're finished. And we're benefiting, aren't we, from hearing the Lord Jesus speak to us. We've looked at seven letters to seven churches And each of those letters is an introduction to the book. It's like getting seven introductions. All the seven churches are meant to now hear the rest of the letter of the book. Remember, the whole thing is very simply about chapter 1, verse 1, the unveiling of the Lord Jesus himself, the revelation of Jesus. This is the Lord Jesus lifting the curtain on who he really, truly is showing us himself in all his glory and showing us the world as we need to see it with spiritual eyes and with the eyes of heaven on the world. This is a revelation of who Jesus is in the universe and who he is for his people. And so this morning, here's the setting, the setting for that unveiling. John is going to set the stage for us here. Chapter 4 is very simply all about entering a beautiful world. It's all about entering a beautiful world. So have your eyes on the chapter on a Bible in some way in front of you. And let's just let the passage guide us as we look at it. Look how it works. Chapter 4, verse 1. John sees an open door, a door standing open in heaven. Doors are always a gateway, aren't they? You, you, you walked through a door this morning into whatever room you're sitting in at home, uh, listening and watching. You, you, you walked into your living room, and as you went into that room, you left another room, didn't you? And in John's vision, he sees a door open to heaven, 
And he's taken up there through that door and into an entirely different world. He has different surroundings, different sights, incredible things are happening that he can't quite put his finger on or interpret or understand. And I think if you want one word to describe what John sees and what he experiences, one word, it is beauty. Beauty. Verse 2, at once I was in the Spirit... And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. Around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. The the sight of a rainbow today uh, after rain, in our family, at least if we're driving somewhere, it's enough to draw gasps, amazement and wonder. Stop, there's a rainbow, look at it. The, the, The beauty of it. And this rainbow, with all its own glory, had the appearance of an emerald. I think John is in a beautiful setting here in two ways. This is beautiful because of what John sees, and it's beautiful because of what it represents. What John sees is the splendor of God's glory expressed in colors here. He sees a throne, someone seated on the throne. And yet, do you notice the person on the throne is only described in terms of precious stones? Amazing. He sees someone. Now I'm going to tell you about precious stones, jasper and carnelian. Jasper is white or translucent. It has a kind of glowing, almost transparent light. Carnelian is red. And encircling the whole throne, an emerald rainbow, a green ring, and yet at the same time, still a rainbow. Do you notice what's happening? Instead of being told what the person on the throne looks like, we are given images of the most beautiful, most costly, most dazzling stones that there are, because it is John's way of saying, look, when I went through the door of heaven and entered that world, my words of description came to an end of themselves. We have this sometimes in our in our family around the breakfast table. Somebody says, I had a dream last night, and ah, I, th- I think it was... Uh, it's actually easier to describe what it felt like than to, to actually claw, claw the reality of what you saw in your dream back down and to put it into words. John is saying, I, I cannot draw you a picture of what God looks like other than to get you to imagine the most beautiful array of diamonds and colors you have ever seen. And none of these lights that John sees are static, are they? Look at verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Fire is blazing in front of this throne. This is an audio-visual spectacular. The the seven spirits of God are there. A, A better translation might be the sevenfold spirit of God. Seven, remember, the number of perfection. God's own Holy Spirit is there, but the only way to describe him is by speaking of fire. And look, more than this, there are living creatures, verse 7, like a lion, like an ox, like a man, like an eagle. Here are God's closest attendants, if you like, his heavenly servants. I think these, uh, the 24 elders in verse 4 and the living creatures in verse 7, I think these are descriptions of probably the highest order level of angels. 
The highest level of angels, each of them in some way reflecting some aspect of God's glory, a lion reflecting God's majesty, an ox his strength, and an eagle stealth, man reflecting his dominion over the world. What, what does all of this mean? What does all of this represent? That's the, the second way this is beautiful. Not just what John sees, but it's beautiful in what it represents. What does this picture of indescribable beauty mean? Well, what is the main word in both chapters, chapter 4 and in chapter 5 that Will's going to show us next week? There is one main word at the center of it. Do you know what the word is? Throne. The word throne. I think the word is used about 16 or 17 times over both chapters. This is God's throne room. That's the door that John has entered. Not any old room, throne room. This is a picture of God in control of the entire universe. And friends, really today, that is all John wants us to see as he sets the stage. It's it's what I want you to see and to understand as you watch and as you listen to God's word today. This is the one overriding reality I want you to walk through a door into and climb up inside and, and sit inside. John wants us to view the world and to view him and to view ourselves from this vantage point, the vantage point of his throne. See, think of it like this. It's probably very hard to imagine at the minute in the pandemic, isn't it? And with international travel uh, so precarious. But we've all been there, I think, in different ways. Imagine uh, an airport terminal, Heathrow Terminal 5. You're you're waiting for your long-haul flight. And you're sitting there. The pandemic is gone. Travel is back to normal. You're sitting there. There are literally thousands of passengers all around you. And the terminal is packed and out the window you can see planes coming and going and there are announcements about delays and arrivals and departures. You're watching baggage cars snake their way uh, around the airport. You're watching refueling tanks out the window. A a world of activity, a hundred different things happening. You're sitting watching it and, and then someone takes you and ushers you through a door. And you leave that world of hustle and bustle and you're taken up in a lift and you enter the control tower of the airport. And in a moment, you are now in a world of calm, peace and serenity, quietly flashing lights, low voices, bright lights and machines. And from here, you can see everything that is happening beneath you. Wow, you've You've always seen these control towers, but never imagined what it would be like to be in the top of one and to have that vantage point looking down. And you realize all of a sudden that in the control tower down below, it is not chaos and random events and machines moving around here and there, but somebody up here is in charge of everything. They can see, they know what is happening. Brothers and sisters, John is taken through a door. And what he sees is the control room of the universe, a throne, a beautiful throne. And in this throne room, there is no chaos, no panic, no fear, no confusion. You know how we know, verse 6? Before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. You know, in the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament, the, the sea is used as a picture of 
chaos, wild, unpredictable force. The sea can threaten humankind. But what happens to the sea around God's throne? It goes completely calm and still like a mill pond on a summer's day. One thing I ask of the Lord This is what I ask King David in Psalm 27. One thing I ask that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Oh, what David longed to do. John gets to do. He gets as close as it is almost humanly possible to do. He he sees the beauty of the Lord and words fall to the ground and fail him. He sees light and wealth and lightning and fire and he hears thunder and singing and he sees a throne from which God rules the universe. And yet, friends, do you notice God is not described in this picture? It's really incredible. God is not described. No picture at all of God is there. The closest you get is is verse 2, verse 3. Behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of these precious stones. It's no description of the person, is it? You know the story of the little child in class, in art class? She's got her uh, blank piece of paper on the easel, and she's got her paintbrush in hand. And the teacher says, now, Sarah, what are you going to paint today? And confidently, Sarah says, "I'm I'm going to paint God. And the teacher says, okay, well, that, that's interesting. You know, you, you know, Sarah, no one has ever seen God. We don't really know what he looks like, do we? And the little girl says, well, you will when I'm finished. When John is finished here, when he puts his paintbrush down, when he's finished making the stage for chapter five's drama, we still do not know what God looks like. And in fact, friends, that is the whole point of this setting. John wants to tell us that at the center of the universe is a throne on which sits someone who is indescribably and incomparably beautiful. What is God like? Answer, nothing. No one. He is not like anything else. Isaiah chapter 40, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? Answer, no one, nothing. I I want this to be the, the greatest comfort for us today. You know, friends, sometimes in church we want to be told, don't we? We want to be told what to do. Give me a sermon that gives me something practical. Tell me what I can change. What can I start? What should I stop? And of course, all of that is good and right. And and yet, sometimes the best thing we can do in response to God speaking, the best thing is simply worship Him. Simply adore Him. That is all that's happening here in chapter 4. John wants us to do that because of this truth. Let me say it again to us, friends. At the center of the universe is a throne on which sits someone who is indescribably and incomparably beautiful. I think that is profoundly comforting for us. The God who rules the world is so beautiful, we we could not put it into words if we tried. 
You, you cannot draw him. You cannot describe him. You, you take the very best that the world has to offer and you only come close to it. You see the shining glory of the diamonds. So all I want to do in the rest of the time is just take those two things. There is a throne and there is someone on the throne who is indescribably, incomparably beautiful. A throne and a beautiful person. I want to talk about both of those things from this passage. First of all, the throne, the the, the centerpiece of Revelation 4 and 5. Friends, brothers, sisters. Do you know and do you believe that today, right now, right at this moment, you live in a ruled world? You live in a ruled world, a ruled universe. So important for each of us in different ways, isn't it? Because our circumstances are all different. But we are each living with heartache and difficulty. And some of us live with disaster today and despair And most of it leaves us not knowing whether we're coming or going. We don't know who to turn to. Is there no one, is there anyone who can help us? John is here taking us by the hand, leading us through a door into the grandest theater you can ever imagine. And the spotlight falls on one thing on the stage. The light falls on a throne. See what John is saying? Not a chair. Not a stool, not a sofa, not a bench. A throne, the seat of a king. Do you remember Revelation chapter 1? This letter comes to us from him who was and is and is to come and from Jesus Christ, the ruler of the kings on earth. Ah, there it is. This throne rules all other thrones. This throne trumps all other thrones. One throne to rule them all. All other kings on earth are under this king. You know, I I think, I'm not sure I'd ever step on an airplane if somebody said to me, in this particular airport, there is no control tower. Uh, in, In this airline, we've got the best pilots. They... They can sense when there's trouble around, when there's other planes. They, 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 they fly by instinct. Well, I think I'd very quickly be saying, thanks very much. I'll get the bus. Uh, wherever it is I'm going, that's not what I'm interested in. It's not what we want, is it? We take great comfort when we fly that there is a control tower. All the bustle, all the activity, all the frenetic running and the things that happen in airports, missing a flight or just crashing through the gate on time, planes circling over London in a holding pattern. I've seen that from the air, watched planes go round and round. There is tremendous comfort in knowing there is a control tower. A peaceful calm is down there somewhere orchestrating it all. John wants us to know, friends, the Lord Jesus is calling to you today, asking if you can see that down here, all this coming and going and all this facing, all the storms of life that we're living through, he is up there ruling and reigning. He is over you and over me and over the kings on earth. You are not alone He has not dropped the reins of the universe, nor are the details of your life overlooked by him. Look how it works in verse 11. 
these 24 elders who worship, they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. See what verse 11 is saying. Here we are again, friends, in this pandemic, again in God's goodness, here now from a different angle, coming face to face with the doctrine of providence. He rules all things, all things by his fatherly hand. Friends, isn't it true? Isn't it true that the one seated on the throne is everything to us? It is, he is everything to us. It is, it, it's one thing, isn't it, to rule. It's one thing to have a throne. But who is it that rules? What is he like? You, you can't take the paintbrush and draw him. We can't take a photograph of him. But we need to know we can trust him. We need to know we can love him and walk with him through life, right? So what is he actually like? Verse 8. We've seen the throne, now the one who is incomparably, indescribably beautiful. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What they're saying in that verse is that the one on the throne is worshipped for three things in that verse. Three things. His holiness, his power, and his eternity. You see them? His holiness, his power, and his eternity. Let, let, let's take them in reverse order. His eternity. Who, who was and is and is to come. Who was and is and is to come. We've already been told this twice in the book of Revelation up to now. Chapter 1. God is the Alpha and the Omega. The Alpha and the Omega. They were the first and the last letters of the Greek alphabet. But it's not just saying he's the first and the last. By using that phrase, the first and the last, it means he's the beginning and the end. And he's everything else in between. We might say today he's the A to Z of everything. That's what we mean. He's the A to Z of everything. That's what you have here in this phrase. God who was, who is, who is to come. All of time is embraced in God's eternal presence. Listen, here's the stunning truth. All of time is present to God in one moment. All of time is present to God in one moment because God is not in time. We are and then we cease. We come and we go, but God God is outside time. He does not come and go. There is not a time when he was not and then he became. He always was. And this language of he was and is and is to come, it is, it is our, John, John's human language coming to an end of itself. Trying to explain that no matter how far back you go, God was there. No matter how far forward you go into eternity, God will be there. The same God will be there. The unchanging God will be there. He is the sovereign Lord of all that takes place in the entire course of human history. 
these elders, living creatures, fall and worship him for his eternity. Here's the second thing, his power. He is the Lord God Almighty. So it's easy to miss the beauty of that. We're so used to using words like that, isn't it? What John is saying is that evil in our world can be mighty, but it is not almighty. No, evil is never almighty. Caesar might be mighty. Caesar here in Rome in John's day. Caesar in your world, in my world. The the Caesar over you at work. The Caesar over you in your government oppressing persecuting, crushing, might be mighty, but only God is almighty. Our friends, kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, but he wisely, wonderfully rules them all. His eternity, his power, and here's the first reason why his throne is worshipped. I want, I want to finish with, the, with, with this. He is eternal, he is powerful, but he is also holy. Friends, consider God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy. This is God's difference from you and me. This is God's separateness from you and me. That's what the word holy means. It means that he is infinitely set apart from everything else. He he is not of the same nature or being or substance or character as anything else at all. He is infinitely unique, set apart. And he is that three times over. Holy, holy, holy. It's the Hebrew way of underlining it and then putting it in italics and then putting it in bold and then putting it in caps, all the the things that we would do today. It's an intensifying phrase. You say it three times. You, You cannot get more holy, John is saying. Maximal holiness. And in fact, this is the number one thing you need to know about this stage and about this throne at the center of it. Because all of chapter 4 actually revolves around this idea of the holiness of God. It is one thing to say God is holy, holy, holy. But friends, do you notice that the, the whole point of this setting is to say that God is so holy that the question becomes How am I going to get to him? How am I going to reach him? You know, if if you go, if you go to the theater and you're looking at the stage, there are obstacles in your way, aren't there? You're, you're not meant to be able to just go right through the seats in front and hop up onto the stage. At the concert, there are bodyguards in front of, in front of the stage protecting what's happening. You know, if, if after watching today you decided to pop round and see Angela and I in the, in the manse, if it wasn't illegal, we could invite you in, of course, and you would just ring the doorbell, text, hi, it's me, I'm coming, put the kettle on. No airs and graces, in you come, we're the, we're the same. But if you want to visit the first minister today, you, you cannot just turn up unannounced, ring the doorbell. Hi, Nick, put the, put the kettle on, love. Take it up a level. Go go to Downing Street to meet the Prime Minister. Behind railings, 
you find number 10 in Downing Street. Take it up another level, to the very top level, to meet the queen in Buckingham Palace. Isn't it true, friends, that the higher up you go in society, the more people there are in your way stopping you getting getting to them, the more barriers there are, the more elevated the person, the harder it is to reach them. That is what this beautiful setting is giving us, friends. The throne is at the center, yes, but look, around that throne, did you notice? 24 other thrones, verse 4. These are bodyguard thrones, angel bodyguard thrones, and these are elders with golden crowns. And then you get past those bodyguard thrones, but now there are four living creatures around the throne. Terrifying creatures, a lion, an ox, an eagle, a man. And then somehow you, 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 you make your way past them. Then you notice that from the throne is coming flashes of lightning and peals of thunder and fire. John is saying you have to get through this storm to get to God. Oh, it is a stunning sight. The best and the greatest hymns that we have express this, don't they? Holy, holy, holy. Though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. There is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. Oh, friends, I long to sing those words with you together again in in gathered worship that helps us sense the glory and grandeur and majesty of God. Crown him with many crowns. That hymn, you know that one? No angels in the sky can fully bear that sight, but they downward bend their burning eye at mysteries so bright. You know, somebody has said that we must realize that in the Bible, when people get a glimpse of God, they don't say, wow. They say, woe. Woe is me. For I am undone. How are you going to get to this God? How are you going to reach Him? Across the sea of glass, stretching further than the eye can see, and then the lightning and the thunder, and then the bodyguards and the angels and the creatures, and a throne on it that you you, you cannot even describe the person on it. How will we reach Him? You know, tradition has it that when the high priest went into the most holy place on the Day of Atonement once a year, tradition has it that they, at a period in Israel's history, they they tied a rope around his ankle so that if he was struck dead in the presence of God, in the Holy of Holies, his body could be pulled out and retrieved. Holy, holy Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Listen to these words. We are unaccustomed to this mystery. We expect nothing even similar to Abraham's falling on his face, Moses hiding in terror, Isaiah's crying out, woe is me, or Saul's being knocked flat on the Damascus road. We expect none of those things. The New Testament warns us, offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for indeed our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12. 
but in our day, reverence and awe have been replaced by a yawn of familiarity. The consuming fire has been domesticated into a candle flame, adding a bit of religious atmosphere perhaps, but there is no heat, no blinding light, no power for purification. We prefer the illusion of a safer deity. And so we have pared God down to manageable proportions. Oh, friends, this is the beautiful setting. I want to encourage you today to foster and to nurture and to grow awe in your worship of God. The, The one on the throne who rules your world cannot be domesticated, cannot be tamed, cannot be boxed, cannot be controlled. And because of all those things, friends, he is more beautiful than you or I can ever imagine. And so, friends, next week, next week the drama, the incredible drama. Who can get through this storm to God? Who can get through it? Can you? Can I? Can anyone? Chapter 5, verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep. I began to weep because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Can anyone get there? Brothers and sisters, there is a way to get there, but it is not through you or through me, not through any of us going first. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Do you know, friends, that the love of God in the Lord Jesus, the love of God here in, here in verse 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, triumphing and conquering, the love of God in Jesus will become unsurprising to us if we forget the holiness of God on his throne. Oh, the wonder of how the Lord Jesus loves us and how Jesus saves us and how Jesus speaks to us today. The wonder of that is gone, evaporates, if we do not see that his love is so surprising because of how holy he is. How undeserving we are. Oh, friends, the beautiful setting makes chapter 5 next week, makes the incredible drama Stunning, mind-bending, awesome. May God give us eyes to see, ears to hear. May he cause our knees to bow. Amen.